0: time for the blind broadcaster podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Merry Christmas and
1: happy holidays as we close out the month of December and 2021. As we head into 2022, I'd like to wish you and yours a very safe, happy, and prosperous new year. Welcome to this year's final installment of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. My guest on the final episode for the year and the month of December is Bob McElligot. If you have any suggestions or people you'd like to have on the podcast, please email me at luther.king.com. TSB at gmail.com, which is also where you and how you can find me directly on Facebook. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast itself, you can go to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page and broadcast events, which will be coming down the pike hopefully soon. You can find the Facebook page, the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at King underscore T S B and on Instagram at L King Dash Cardinals Fan eight five. My guest today is the voice of the jackets what is it seven years now? Maybe more than that? As the voice of the f- hockey team?
2: Uh I've been doing play by play for seven. It's my eleventh year here. I did color to the first four.
1: Oh you did color with um Uh, Did you work with uh, George Matthews? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, I did. What was it like working with him?
2: It was great. It's like one of the most fantastic people on the planet. Nicest guy, always positive outlook on things. Just it was fun to work with and learn from. And, you know, coming into the National Hockey League, I had spent. 12 years in pro hockey, uh, two in the East Coast Hockey League and 10 in the American Hockey League. But you know, you come up here and trying to figure things out and how to do it. And he was a great mentor to help me do that.
1: So, what things when you started working with Matthews did you feel like you had to pick up on, even though you had done hockey for a dozen years on the broadcast side, that you felt like you didn't know or you? knew but you had to brush up on
2: well the biggest thing for me then was doing color it was i had to watch the game differently and you know i wasn't a former player like most color analysts in the national hockey league so you know you had to you had to watch it differently you had to look for uh, different things i would spend a lot of time talking to other analysts that were former players whether on our TV broadcast or, you know, around the league, just trying to, to figure out how to watch the game. Because as a play-by-play guy, you're watching the puck all the time. And, you know, you miss certain things that happen behind the play or there are tendencies that maybe you don't recognize as quickly because you're too busy following the puck wherever it is on the ice. So, um, you know, that was the biggest adjustment was to learn that. It was. It was like I was still broadcasting, but I had to retrain myself in how I was going to watch the game.
1: Do you still take that same watchability from a color-inless side now that you're in the number one chair since you're having to do the game off of a monitor?
2: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and I work by myself, so I'm still doing mm-hmm. color because I'm doing it all. So uh, even off a of monitor, sometimes in some ways doing it off a of monitor from a, a color aspect is is easier because you're getting the replays. And it's right there in front of you, and it it's closer and it's tighter to play, so you know you're not looking at it from the press box and even during the game, I have monitors that i can uh, that I can access if I want to go back and watch it uh, I think that's I think that's the biggest thing about using the monitor when you're doing color you get a chance to see that play over again once or twice, and you know just get a better Perspective and uh, and even some different perspectives. They give you different uh, different looks and different camera angles, so it helps you. Uh, I, it's much more helpful to do color uh, when coming off a monitor, whether you're at the game and you're just watching a replay, or you're um, you know in a room watching the entire thing on a monitor, like we are right now.
1: So, where do they have you broadcasting from in the home base room in Columbus when you're doing? the game broadcast and you can still pick up the sound. I guess you still have your on-site engineer or, do you have to, or are you doing all the producing to make sure that the fans get to hear the sounds of the puck and everything else from the hockey hub?
2: No, we have an engineer. Um You know, quite honestly, I probably could do it. <laughs> if I had to, I could do is it. He, uh,
1: is he on site or is he back yeah. in the studio? With well,
2: well, there's both actually. I mean, we have a network producer. That's in the studio out in Scottsdale, Arizona, where we distribute to our network from. And we have a, a guy on site in the room where I am. That's you know adjusting the levels and bringing in the, you know the interviews that are coming from Toronto. Those are being recorded in our production room, our video production room, on site. And then we you know they play those back for us so that we can grab the sound out of them. So he is uh, there's an on site engineer there that's organizing all of those things too. So there's, there's two different guys with two different uh, jobs, I guess you'd say.
1: So in your younger days was broadcasting something you want to do or did you get steered in that direct, on that path?
2: Well, I wanted to broadcast. I thought, um, actually from the time I was probably literally eight years old, I wanted to be, uh, a morning guy, uh, because I thought like, uh, those morning DJs sounded like they were having the most fun in the world. What a great job that must be because they were always laughing and carrying on and interviewing fun people. So I knew I wanted to be in radio. I kind of figured that out early in my life. I um, I liked sports. I liked to listen to sports on the radio because when I was growing up in the, the 70s and 80s, you know, every game wasn't televised like it is now. So you had to listen to it on the radio. Uh, I had – I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. I would listen to many baseball games, especially on the radio. Um, So when I got into high school and I realized that I really didn't have the talent to play sports beyond high school because I was barely getting on a team in high school, uh, those two things kind of merged for me and uh, my love for radio or my desire to do radio, I guess I should say. And my desire to stay in sports kind of came together, and I started working at uh, the local radio station in my hometown. And one of the reasons I wanted to get in there is because I knew that they did uh, all of the high school football games and basketball games from uh, the high school that I went to. And when I got in there, that's what I was looking to uh, to move into eventually, and I did, and, and I got that chance and. You know, then through many other years and a lot more hard work, uh, it finally flourished into this. But uh, I did know that I wanted to be in broadcasting
1: at a very young age. So you did high school football, basketball. How many were there other opportunities broadcast wise at the high school level besides sports that you use in your hockey coverage now that you draw back on?
2: Well, anything that I learned then that I draw back on? Is mm-hmm. that what you mean? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, what the thing about doing high school sports is that you are doing everything yourself. Yep, um, exactly. I'm you've got to get the rosters. You've <laughs> got to try to find out whatever information you can. Um, you know, you're you're carrying the equipment, you're setting it up, you're everything. I mean, you're doing it all. Even if you have a partner that you're working with, you're, you're still doing everything. It's not like the NHL where I just, you know, come in, sit down in the chair and everything's there and ready to go. Uh, The stats are provided to me. They're emailed to me. High school. It's not even close to that. You got to do a lot of work. So, um, you know, that work really sets the stage for you. You don't realize that like what I got, what I get now, it's so much easier to get prepared and, you know, but all that work that I had to do for myself back then um, was very va- valuable because you know it helped me start to learn how to prepare for things. Now, I'll be honest with you, I still do high school stuff. Um, I do high school football for the high school that my son just graduated from. I've been doing it for the last four years. We do internet broadcasts, you know, which is something that when I was growing up, you either were on a radio broadcast or you were nowhere. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't this opportunity like there is now. So now, when I go back and I do high school sports, the thing that I like the most about it is it really reminds you where you came from, and it reminds you how spoiled you are with the job and the career that you have now, because you're back to phoning athletic directors and asking them for rosters. And you now, you can,
1: now you now you could email them because now I, I do that all the time. Yeah, coaches. I mean, I usually email and get you know information i'm I'm basically still doing the same thing you're doing except for the fact that now i can just email an ad or email a head coach and say hey right that's very true in a particular piece of information that i'm going to need to make sure i can at least paint a picture right
2: and and to be honest with you because of the role that i have here it's a it's a much easier get in many cases because people know you know what your regular job is and when you tell them you're coming in and you're going to be broadcasting for the school um they uh you know, if, if they're hockey fans, then they go above and beyond to get you whatever you need. And they're pretty happy about you coming in there. And same with coaches, too. I mean, I the, the coach in my at uh, my son's high school, the first time I met him, I was doing a game on TV for the local Time Warner affiliate. And I never forget, I walked out on the field. It's like 5 o'clock on Friday night, and the team's out there warming up. And I went out to talk to him about the team and he starts talking to me about the blue jackets and are we going to trade this guy or keep this guy and <laughs> and then i found out he's a partial season ticket holder and he's a huge fan and like honestly after talking for almost 25 minutes i said hey look it is great to meet you and talk to you, and I love all of this. But if you don't tell me something about your team right now, I'm going to look really stupid in about 40 minutes. So I really need to talk about your team and what you're trying to do tonight. So uh, you know, it's kind of fun. It it, it goes
1: both ways for me now. And do you handle, are you handling the lead on the high school games, or do you, or is, there, or do you guys switch off on that when you're? I doing that I'm online? handling.
2: No, I'm doing it, and uh, we're doing it with students. Uh, the school has a video production class, and. Uh, I'm actually using the students to, to do color and, you know, trying to get them to do some play by play. They're so afraid, um, you know, they're afraid to make a mistake, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, uh, last year was great because I had a kid that had played on the football team through his junior year and decided not to play football and just concentrate on baseball in his senior year. And he did color with me and it was great because he knew all the ins and outs of what was going on. You know, he knew the, he knew the plays they were running, he knew he knew what they were going to call in situations. So that was that was really nice for me because you know he it was easy to make him comfortable right away by just getting him to talk about the stuff he already knew. And then it really took a lot off
1: of me because, you know, I had a bona fide color <coughs> analyst with me. When you're flying solo with hockey coverage, you know, it's gotta be harder to try to make sure that you get all the piece of information you're gonna need on a Game day, but also basically try to wear two hats because you're doing the play-by-play, but you're also trying to provide analysis on why this play either worked, or didn't work, or what you're seeing from the monitor, what you or you know your thoughts on what you'd like to see from the team that you've you know sat in the chairs of color analyst for a while, and then you move to the number one chair. Does it get mentally tough when you're going solo and having to basically? do everything by yourself without having somebody to bounce ideas off of. And at the high school level, when you have students and you try to set them up as an analyst, what are your do's and don'ts and your rules of thumb or keys that you're using to allow them to be who they are while still trying to get comfortable in the number two chair?
2: Really, my biggest rule is don't talk over me on a scoring play. Um, you gotta you gotta keep it quiet. Can't start cheering when you see there's going to be a touchdown. And you know, just let me get done with what I am calling, and then you can say whatever you want. Um, my biggest thing with them, when I, and this isn't just high school kids. This is when I'm working, even in the NHL. If I get a former player who is going to do some color, and, and they're always nervous because. I think the biggest thing for color analysts that are just beginning, the biggest thing for them is when do I talk and how much do I talk.
1: And I, I they're trying to be themselves without yeah. stepping over you,
2: right? So when when I work with somebody, especially for the first time, uh, the first half of the broadcast, if you pay attention, you'll hear me setting them up with things. I'll ask them questions. I'll I'll get them to talk. But what I really am trying to show them is you see what's going on right now on the ice or on the field or what you see what's happening here? Not much of anything. So this is your time. This is where I want you to get in with these thoughts. So um I, I use that, I, I set them up and and then I'll explain it to them during a the commercial break. I'll say, okay, you see how we were doing all that talking there when the play was between the blue lines? You know, anytime that's going on, if you have something, you know, right there, go. The only thing you have to recognize, and and again, working with former NHL players, they recognize this immediately. The only thing you have to recognize is when that play starts to become a legitimate scoring threat, you've got to wrap your thought up immediately and get out so I can get back in and I can call it. So, you know, my – to me, my biggest job is to make them comfortable, uh, especially when they're first starting out, and – And just teach them, you know, I mean, whether it's a high school student that is eager or a former NHL player, they're there because they want to do it and they want to do it right. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be embarrassed uh, when they go to school on Monday and have their friends say something to them that they heard them say something that uh, was wrong. Um, uh, Former pro athletes don't want, you know, many more people can hear what they say. Uh, and you know they they just want to do it right. They all want to do it right. So it's my job to make sure that they they do it right. I really do try to take a lot of responsibility to make sure that uh, the person is comfortable and that they're learning. And you know, at the end, I I just want them to be who they are. And I tell them that I go, hey, look, you got something to say. I don't care what it is. You know, say what you think. Say what you feel. Um, you know, I don't put any shackles on them with that kind of stuff. So. I just want them to be themselves. I want them to be comfortable, and then if they do all that, eventually they're going to be
1: good. So when did you first start doing hockey, and what were the biggest things when you started to do hockey? You had to learn nuance-wise that you basically didn't have to when you were doing high school sports, and you're still doing high school sports, but are there some things that you carry out of hockey into high school from when you started to where you are now.
2: When I started to do hockey, the story is my first job in professional sports was as a mascot. What? And yes, a yep, mascot, it was, huh? It was with a ma- It was as a mascot. I was working part time in radio in um, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Somerset, Pennsylvania, and Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I had two part time jobs, two different stations. Wow. Um, and. Uh, The East Coast Hockey League team in Johnstown got purchased by a new owner, and he wanted to do new things. And one of the things was he created a mascot, and they were looking for people to audition for it. And, you know, people had always told me, get a foot in the door somehow, some way in broadcasting. So I figured this might be an opening to get in with an organization and do something. So I auditioned, and I got the job, and... I was a mascot. Uh, At the same time, I was applying for minor league baseball broadcasting jobs. And in February, so we started in October. In February, I got offered a a minor league baseball job in uh, single-A baseball. So I left the hockey team, and I went to uh, take the baseball job. But the baseball job was only seasonal, so I knew come September I was going to be looking for another job. And uh, the owner of the hockey team wanted me to come back, and I told him, I said, you know, I've got to have a job. I can't just come in here and work for 30 bucks a night being a mascot. I I need a job, so I don't know if I can do that. He said, well, how about this? I'm going to put you in the office as the director of group ticket sales. So you spend the day calling groups, trying to sell tickets, you know, discounted tickets to groups or 10 or more, and then during the games you can be the mascot. So I took that, and, and that's how I got into hockey was doing that. So while I was there, uh, the radio guy at the time, and his name was Greg DeVito, he had just gotten the job there doing the play-by-play. And as part of his deal, he had to do some high school hockey games. And he had to do them by himself, and he wasn't all that thrilled about that. So he told me, if you want to learn how to broadcast hockey, if you come with me to these high school games, I'll let you do uh, two periods of play-by-play, and then I will critique you, and I will help you to learn how to do it. And so I did that. And eventually what I also did, we, at that time, believe it or not, we had a video guy who used to travel to every road game. He drove himself and he would film the games and he would come back and he would put them on public access TV, like, you know, a couple days later after they were already played. Right. But since he drove, I would ride with him and I would go to uh, the road games, just the closer ones, which was like in Wheeling, West Virginia, Erie, Pennsylvania, and then I would do color. So that was how I got into doing hockey. And I was still doing baseball. I would, every spring I would go and do baseball. And eventually, uh, Greg got an opportunity to move to the American hockey league and the radio job was open in Johnstown. And I went back and, and I took that job. So, um, I, I tell people all the time when I talk at, uh, Rotary clubs or whatever it is, I, one of my lines is I went from the job where you're not allowed to speak at all to the job where all you do is talk, and I did it with the same team, from mascot to radio. But, um, you know, that's how, that's how I got into it, and, and I learned a lot, and he taught me a lot. And The biggest thing you have to learn is you can't say everything that happens. Hockey is a game that moves so quickly. It, it's a pick and pick and choose. You have to figure out what's important and what's not. And you have to describe what's important. And the other stuff, you've got to you know, throw out the window. Or that's that's the time when the, the unimportant stuff is going on. That's the time for analysis, uh, even while play is going on. So that was one thing. And it moves at one speed in the East Coast Hockey League. And you move up to the American Hockey League. And it moves at a faster speed. And you get to the NHL. And it moves at supersonic speed. So those decisions on what's important and what's not actually uh, come much quicker where i am now than they did back then but also it's easier here because the play is more crisp the passes connect almost every single time Uh, In east coast hockey league a guy will make a pass it'll hit his teammate in the skates or he'll throw it behind him and the guy has to stop and it's just it's more of a sluggish game here it is crisp and it's up and down the ice and like i said almost every pass goes exactly where it's supposed to go so uh, it, it makes it Makes it an easier game to call. But um, figuring out what's important was a big thing and coming up with more descriptive terms. Um, You know, Early on, I remember one game in particular, Greg had uh, laryngitis, and I went in and I filled in for him. And he sat down in the office and and he critiqued the entire game. And one of the things that – and it was a great critique. It was so helpful. But one of the things I was doing and I had no idea was – I was saying the word moves every time somebody would pay, make a pass, you know, and moves it to the right side, moves it to the middle of the ice, moves it into the corner. I had no idea how many times I was saying it until he pointed it out with a written critique at the end of the game. And so it makes you think of, you know, and how it's got to be, he moves it, he passes it, he dumps it, he slides it. He You, you know, you have to <laughs> you have to have a lot of different words to say the same thing. Uh, just in order to vary it up and, and not get stuck because it's really easy to get stuck in one and not even realize you're doing it.
1: How much information is too much information to get you in a wormhole that you have to find a way to get out of? And how do you, you know, because you led me perfectly into the segue of what you were talking about earlier. How do you try to make sure this stuff is not repetitive as in double names, saying one word 50 million times, it talk about the same thing, how to make sure that the stuff of importance is important, and the same thing on that vi- in that vein, storylines. How big are storylines? Or if you don't use storylines, how many of the bullet points are you using to still make your point? Storylines,
2: they're obviously important. Um... I just here's the thing I'm doing radio mm-hmm. uh I know when you're doing t v even even if you're working for the team at the n h l level uh they like to talk about both of the teams you know it's it's not a balanced fifty fifty broadcast but it, it might be a seventy thirty right um or maybe a sixty forty I don't know, but it, to me, i'm gonna tell you right now it is a hundred to zero because I think the people that are going out of their way to find me on the radio now, if you're if you're trapped in your car, uh, that you're not going out of your way. I mean, that's your only choice. But (laughs) I know a lot of people that will, um, you know, they'll they'll purposely find the radio sound. Um, You know, storylines are good and information about the other team is good, but I keep it to a minimum because I, I think the people that tune into me are there to hear about our team. Um, so my storylines, the ones that are more important to me is what's going on with our players, what's going on with our system, what's going on with our coach. Um, you know, and you know, like right, you're playing in the playoffs against the Tampa Bay lightning for a second straight year. Well, of course, the storyline is it's a rematch from last year when the blue jackets pulled off a monumental upset upset and took out one of the best teams ever to play in the NHL's regular season swept them in four games and now they're going head to head again and now it's much more evenly matched and all that so those are storylines and that's that's interesting there's no doubt about that but I mean I do a game like a fan I, I really I when I'm when I sit down to do a game and I start to do a game I literally think to myself if I was listening to this what do I want to hear if I was on the other side what do I want it to sound like and that's how I do it and you know I I have people tell me, uh, well, I tuned in the game and I knew they were losing. I didn't know what the score was, but you sounded mad, so I knew they were losing. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's right or wrong, but I, I take some pride in that because I want them to win. I mean, I do I mean, work you're for an team. I mean, You're an employee. Right.
1: I mean, you're, you're working for them. i I mean, sheesh.
2: And I'm with them all the time, you yeah, know, every I mean, day. I know them. They're my friends. I want them to succeed. Uh, they, you know, when they succeed it makes my job a lot easier too, right? I
1: mean, let's Ain't be honest truth. about it. I mean even uh, I mean it doesn't matter to the high school level, college level, pro level, right. or even in the middle. I mean Exactly. Do I want the team that I'm covering to win? Sure. But however, if the other team finds a way to beat us either <laughs> on the last second play of a game or they destroy us fifty to one. It doesn't make it doesn't make my job easier. Yeah, I mean, I want the team to win, but I'm not around them every day. But still, right. I still want to treat it like, hey, do I want this team to succeed? Of course I do. <laughs> Am I going to say anything bad about the other team? Well, that's not ideal because you still want to have a job. Even <laughs> though you're not getting paid, you don't want to say anything stupid that could get you fired.
2: That's very true. Very true. But – um you know, so how much information is too much information? Exactly. I think I think like a player, um I, I think you can paralyze yourself. If you go if you go into a broadcast and you say, I have to get this, 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 and this done, uh, that's another thing I tell color analysts when they're first starting. You know, they'll come in and they'll have a big notebook written down the web, all these notes and and we'll get to the end of the game and I'll say how many of those notes did you use? Yeah, well, I use like two. Yeah, that's how it works.
1: Yeah, about 10% of the stuff about out of the right. 100, you're probably going to use only about 10 of it. Right.
2: Now, maybe you 25. Have to be, and you have to be prepared. Don't get me wrong. But on the same token, you can get prepared all afternoon and then the game happens. And it's the game that is the most important thing. So maybe you're, like you just said, eight of your 10 narratives don't, even fit into what's happening right now
1: of course not uh, maybe you nine know, of the ten you may only right one.
2: right exactly so um you know i'm a i'm a very fly by the seat of your pants guy when it comes to that and what i mean by that is that i'm i've done this for long enough that i know that you, you'd better be ready to change your plan if you're going in with a set plan and that's the plan you're going to be with and you're going to jam all this information down everybody's throat no matter what because you spent all afternoon looking it up um i don 't think that's that 's the right way to approach it i don 't think that 's very fun and as a listener i wouldn 't want to be feeling like I was force fed stuff just because somebody went and looked it up so um you know I have no problem with you know this is out this is out this is out this is none of this is none of this fits the narrative tonight, none of this stuff is happening, so that 's all gone, and we 're going to come up with something else right now
1: so how do you sometimes come back to maybe one thing that you know, applies. Like say you toss everything out, but then the game turns to back to something that you looked up. was like, Oh, I remember this. I can, I can put this in here. Right. How do you know the right and wrong way to come back to something? If you know, the situation arises where what you looked up and all your game prep, it comes back to you and you just need to use it somewhere. But, the right way to use it
2: well let's say let's say you're um, let's say you're playing a team that you have historically been involved in low scoring games and tight games and and so you have that you know you have mm-hmm. you know last time these two teams played <clears> it's <throat> ended it's ended with a, a one goal decision and you know five out of the last seven times and then all of a sudden one team goes up by three or four right off the bat and you're like well. Okay, so there's a note that's gone. Why don't we talk about that? You know. But then let's say the other team climbs back into it. Now all of a sudden it's pertinent again, right? Sure. So, you know, and I will do this because I, I don't I don't care. I mean, I'm not there I'm I'm not there to be the, the smartest guy in the room or anything like that. That's I, not I the would literally, I would literally say something like, Well, you know what? I had looked up this stat earlier and i had already dismissed it and I wasn't gonna bring it up to you because it was a four to nothing game. But now that it's four three, let me tell you something. The last seven times these teams play, you know what I mean. Sure. So, it, I mean because
1: that that you're basically burying your own lead if you do that. Well, yeah,
2: yeah. It's just I I just think I don't know when I listen to people that don't sound human when I when I listen to people <laughs> that I feel are talking at me and not to me, that's irritating to me. I, I just don't like it personally. So I I try not to do that because. I I don't want people to think that I'm talking at you or down to you or I'm smarter than you. Or, look, I'm lucky to have the job I have. I realize that it is a privilege, and that's why, you know, I'm I'm kind of a fan in the chair. I'm the one guy that got the opportunity to sit here, and you've got to sit wherever you are. So, I'm going to do my best to uh, make it feel like
1: like you feel wherever you are. I got to go back to game one. That game that never seems to end. Take me through that particular day was a, what was it, a Wednesday or a Tuesday? Because I know it was, the a, Bruins, uh, he, he was, it was Yeah, because the Bruins were supposed to play Carolina that night, but the game yeah. went so long that they moved it to a Tuesday. But it really didn't throw anything out of whack. It's just the fact that that game just kept going. As a broadcaster, you the- how, you know, how do you keep yourself sharp for almost seven and a half periods of hockey? And that's got to be the longest game you've called. Oh, yeah, by far. I just,
2: I, this is a, it's a, t- it's a tough answer for me because I've been asked this question so much in the last week. <laughs> and, and what I want to say, and I'll just say it to you. It, it's my job. Yep. You know, I I I don't feel like a hero because I broadcast a game by myself for six hours. I mean, that's what I get paid to do. The bigger mm. story would be: is after three overtimes, I said I can't do it anymore. No, nope, that's mm. enough. Somebody else has to finish this. I mean that that would be that would be a story. Doing your job to me is not a story. You're just um, doing
1: your job. You're supposed to do it because it an employees because an employer is paying you.
2: Yeah, and I and and the game was good. That was the thing. I mean, I didn't. I never looked at that. We could have played three more, and I would have been fine with that because I was really enjoying watching what was happening. I, I was enjoying watching both teams come out with a lot of jump at the beginning of an overtime and then just run out of gas and be dead by the end of it. And then they'd go back into the room and come out 15 minutes later, and they'd have a couple of minutes of jump, and then they were dead again. And it was it was a chess match. It was back and forth. I was fascinated by it, to be completely honest with you. I thought it was entertaining um I I wanted to see Tampa get to 100 shots I really did I've never (laughs) seen that before like when it when it was 70 something I wanted to see 80 when it got to 80 I wanted to see 100 Um, and you
1: almost got it
2: (laughs) I almost got it yeah came close but uh you know it was at that point it wasn't even like being any part of history or anything I mean you know I wanted my team to win and it stunk that they didn't but but it was just It was fun to watch. watch. And and the periods actually, they moved pretty well, to be completely honest with you. The hardest time in the overtime periods, there are no commercials in the overtimes.
1: That's what I was going to ask you next. Like, you know, they had the ice scrape at the 10-minute mark or whenever there's a savage in play. That's the hardest part. But however, as a broadcaster, I know you get about, what, 15 to 20 minutes in the playoffs for an intermission break? but how do you, how do you or how did you keep yourself mentally sharp because i know you're probably just talking to yourself about everybody else is listening by way of computer phone tablet however and keeping yourself mentally focused without getting that commercial break that you would normally get in the first second and third periods. where you may get two or three breaks in a period before the intermission report and then well, you, you just know, overtime. You just run out of breaks. You have nothing. You have nothing <laughs> left. You have no support because you used all your commercials.
2: No, it was. You just know it's like that. You just know, and and you know when it gets close to the ten minute mark, you know there's going to be a spot of three minutes while they scrape that you're going to have to talk, and that's to be honest with you, that's some of the hardest work of the overtime is that three minutes, you know, just coming up with something to say to be relevant, um, you know. Talk about whatever play just happened leading into that. Talk about what's happened in that first half of that overtime period. You know, what you see and all that stuff. And find a way to kill off the three minutes. See, from doing baseball for 16 years straight. It helps. Well, yeah, because I killed so many rain delays that were way longer than that. You know? <laughs> so, that that experience is invaluable. You were asking earlier about drawing upon earlier experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to me, hockey's the easiest game in the world in People don't understand that when I tell them that I say, look, all I got to do is say what I see. In baseball, it's you. You want to talk about stories and storylines? You better have them there because it's slow and it's uh, guys are stepping out of the batter's box and and uh, all that stuff. So, you know, hockey is a breeze uh, in comparison. So, yeah, that's that's th- those are my old rain delays. I mean, that that three minutes while they scrape the ice. That's a that's like that's the enough. equivalent that's of a the mini cloudberry. Yeah, it's mini burst. It, you know, it's, it was no big deal whatsoever. And then, you know, during the intermissions, actually, I was what I was thoroughly enjoying was my pregame and intermission host knowing he's got to fill another intermission and not really knowing what they were going to do for the intermission. I knew what I was going to do when I was on the air. I had no idea what they were going to do. And I know that there was a, there was a lot of uh, talking going on about what's happening now. What are we going to do if this goes on? And I found that to be funny. That was funnier than <laughs> anything else to me, because then I would just leave the room. I'd just say, "Hey, good luck to you," and out of the room, and go over into the because we're in the underneath of the the arena there, and mm-hmm. we have access access to the players' lounge where there was a coffee machine and there were snacks. And I'd go over there and and talk to what whichever of the TV guys were in there getting another drink just like I was. And and um, it was fun. It, it was really, really fun. I'm not just saying that. Now, if we would have started at 8 o'clock at night and it would have been a six-hour game, maybe I wouldn't have thought it was so fun, but we started at 3 in the afternoon. Oh,
1: so UConn-Syracuse, six-overtime game. Game started at like, oh, I want to know, 8 o'clock. It didn't end almost 2 a.m. central time. and I yeah, I'm up I like, saying. the second overtime, I'm like, whoa.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So you know, starting at three and getting done at nine o'clock wasn't that big of a deal, but um, but yeah, I mean, I I just when it when it comes back to it, and you talk about being mentally sharp and all of that. Um, look, from the time a puck drops until the final horn sounds, my job is to be locked in, and and you're not every time. I mean, you know, in the course of an eighty-two game season, there are going to be two or three where I stunk, and I know it and you know whether i wasn't feeling well or whether i was tired or whether the game just wasn't great whatever the case you know you're not going to be a perfect 82 and 0 with great broadcast and and you know nobody that. is but your job is to be locked in and i think in the playoffs because of the magnitude of the situations you can't take a game off and you can't take a period off and, and you, you just there are, to me there are no excuses in the playoffs you can't have a bad game because everything's riding on every game to your fan base Do so you think- um,
1: the qualifier will be a part of the NHL going forward? Like if there's like ties or do you think that's just a one-time experimental thing? And I do get props to the NHL and the NHLPA for working out the cities that they were going to have these round robin slash qualifying play-in games in while also working on their ratifying a new agreement while within this pandemic, so you know things can at least stay as smooth as possible, and they did most of that behind the scenes and they did and a lot of it didn't really get out until you know it was necessary and that is
2: broad- the, that is the biggest win that's coming out of this whole thing mm-hmm. the, the biggest win for a, a sport that in this ever since the turn of the century has lost a full season and a half season due to labor disputes. Yep. The fact that they were able to come together in such trying times, find a middle ground and put together six years of harmony. I mean, that's, that's going to be. And quietly without repute. Yeah. They kept everybody out of it. They just did their work behind closed doors. I mean, you know, it was a lot easier because there was so much other stuff going on and so many distractions in the world that nobody was nosing into everything, but I, I, I commend the league. I commend the players association. Um, what a fantastic thing that is And both sides knew that they were going to lose something. So they, they decided what's worth losing. Where am I going to, uh, what middle ground am I going to go to? What, what compensation am I going to give? And, and what are you going to give? And let's figure this whole thing out. And so for six years now, everything will be, everything will be good when it comes to the labor front in in the labor front i mean look we we all have stuff written in our contracts that if there's a work stoppage you know maybe you don't get as much or you you get laid off or whatever the case is right so or you get furloughed yeah so until further what? notice so guess what that's 6 years of not having to worry about that that's that's the biggest win I, out of all of this yeah it's great that they're playing again it's great they're going to award the stanley cup it's great they've got the bubble it's great that they're Uh, You know, they've found a way to get all of this done um, and have done it without fans. Ultimately, that plan isn't going to work beyond this bubble situation. We all know that. But they found a way to do that, and that's a great story. But the bigger, by far, story is the labor piece.
1: But my question on that following up is this. When they reevaluate how many teams can actually go back and play in their cities if there's no more COVID outbreak and they can – play in their home arenas. How long do you think that process will be when it comes to like, okay, we still have to play in the bubble the first month of the season with no fans. Not going to do it. Can we not going to do it?
2: They can't do it. They just can't do it. I I cannot see any way that this league plays with no fans. It is too much of a revenue driven league. They've got to have people in the building. Um, I, I don't know if they have to have sold out buildings to, to get started or not, I am, I, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm sick and tired of this whole thing. I mean, it, I'm I, with I, you. But... I don't know how it's coming to a resolution, and I think that's the biggest problem with most people. I think most people are like, okay, I'll, I'll sacrifice, I'll do this, and 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 I'll stay with this. But at some point, there's got to be an answer.
1: I, I, and, agreed.
2: Uh, and I hope that's coming. Um, so that's what makes these these conversations difficult. But I just, I I just don't think this league can do it without people and it, it's it's just so much based on ticket revenue and they've got to have it and
1: sessions um, and then yeah all that's that and all the things they have, that have to been, have people so they can work
2: yeah and the second nature things to us i mean when i talk to people they're like well you know if we get everybody in here then how are we going to get people out because you can't just let everybody out at the same time they sure maybe dismissed by section it's 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 amazing and it drives me nuts this whole thing, how it's gone on. And, and, um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, whether it's a vaccine or whatever it's going to take, I just, when people say the words new normal, it, it sends me up a wall. Um, I I just can't wait until there is an actual resolution of, okay, here's how we're going to deal with this from now on and get back to our lives where we were. And and that's in every facet of life, not just in sports, but sports has got to operate with fans.
1: You know, the strange thing about that, what you just said, if we do get back to whatever life is either a supposed to be or what it's going to feel like when we actually get to somewhat normal, that's going to be the biggest question. What is going to be life as we know it in sports and in everyday life? What's going to be the biggest question that we as a nation and people have to ask ourselves and try to figure out what the answer is, and especially sports-wise. Because as you've been seeing out <clears throat> on social media with college football and the Big Ten and all these leagues trying to figure out if they can or cannot play football this season, and the Big Ten already in turmoil, as is, with parents you know, sending letters to the to the office and players actually having it on my petition to actually play football. It's like messing with everybody's livelihood because they don't know if they can actually do what they want to do. Same thing with the NHL. It was great that they figured it out, but what's it going to look like long term?
2: I don't know, but I'm living in Columbus, Ohio, and there's not going to be any college football. Now, just think about that for a minute.
1: Oh, yeah. Think about it. Right. You know, I saw, what was it? On. <clears throat> social media, or I was listening to a radio show, and they said Ryan Day of, the, of Ohio State is going to try to figure out how they can maybe play some non-con games somehow outside of the Big Ten. But I don't know if that's even going to be possible with all with everything that's going on right
2: now. Uh, that was something that was said, and then they, they kind of come back and said, no, they're going to try to play in the spring or whatever. But um, I just – I'm really disappointed. I was really hoping that football was going to be able to to take off without missing a beat, because that would be, to me, that would be a sign that things are going back in the right direction. You know, but um, and I know the NFL is still planning on on having their season, starting it without fans, or some teams are saying they're going to have some fans or whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, it was disappointing. It's really disappointing here. I mean, there's so many businesses that thrive in the fall
0: during sure. the college
2: football season and you yeah. know they're already in trouble because they've been in trouble since March and, and now they're they're going to be in bigger trouble maybe they maybe they're never going to come back some of them so it's 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 sad it's disheartening and it's, yeah, it is I was especially, really holding out hope that college football and the NFL were going to come in on schedule and that that would be a sign that we're getting back to where we're used to being
1: especially small businesses especially when they you know are trying to figure out if they can not either reopen or if they to have to close down permanently because these smaller businesses—they're the—they're—they're the, they're the ones that are going to be that are those are the ones that are in real trouble.
2: And it's not just the ones by the stadium, which is kind of like a a, a first thought. You know, you think about all the establishments that are near stadiums or near arenas. Mm-hmm. But again, the college football season in Columbus, I mean, every it's little huge. place in Columbus benefits on a game day. I mean, people leave their homes and they go out somewhere. To watch games, uh, you know, especially road games. They get together in establishments, and and, and none of that's going to happen. So, yeah, and, and I just think, look, I work in sports, so I obviously have a, a bias, but I just think it is so important. I, I think it's great that they're back. I think it, it, it gives us a sense of distraction. It allows us uh, something to talk about. Uh, it allows people to argue over their favorite teams again and not over some of the, uh, you know, the real-life issues that are going on. In the world, So um, I I just think it's really important to the psyche of who we are as a people. And I'm glad it's back, but I do have that concern that you're talking about. I mean, having it back now, that's great, but how are you going to have it back to to where you need to have it for it to be a viable business and for it to continue to be the part of the fabric of the nation that has been?
1: How do you deal with coaches interviews, or do you just get them from the hub city and just try to – do your pregame chat with the coach as normally as possible, even though a lot of these coach, these coaches' interviews are being done over Zoom, like you and I are doing this chat right now.
2: Yeah, I do all my stuff on Zoom now, and you know it's pluses and minuses. I mean, you're able to see each other uh, if you want to do that, so that's a plus. Um, you know, we can another plus for us is if I interview John Tortorella, our head coach. I can take the audio out of it for the radio and I can put the video part of it to our, our digital uh, department and they'll put it on the website. So we're actually getting, you know, uh, more bang for the buck, if you will there, because we're, we're getting two different things out of it now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's changed the landscape of, of what we do and how we do it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the, uh, I mean, I'm very thankful. I get the, the one-on-ones with the coach and that I can get the players one-on-one because the, the interviews or the the media availability provided by the league is it's not even close to normal. I mean, it's a couple of minutes. It's two players at a time. Um, you know, the coach, our coach has sat in there for four minutes in a post-game interview. I mean, he will normally talk to you for 10 minutes after a game and, and before a game, if you get him going on the right things, it can be 15 minutes. So, you know, that's all gone. It's all been streamlined. Uh, you get very little. Uh, and for me, I'm used to being there with the team, so I could care less how long they talk because my information is just from being around them, just by talking to guys in the hotel or on a bus or whatever the case is. So uh, not having that access now, is that's a big difference too. I mean, I don't know nearly as much as I normally do as to what's going on. But um, yeah, Zoom is the way of life now when it comes to player and coach interviews.
1: So what do you... Hoping to see out of Columbus tomorrow in Game Four that didn't go right in Game Three on Saturday night, losing to Tampa three to one, where it seemed like Tampa basically went into defensive mode and almost defied you guys to try a score on you on Tampa, which seemed like you couldn't do because Vagilevsky was doing his best Dominic Hasek impersonation, plus he had some good help defensively, but in front of him.
2: Well, he he did, and all of that is true, and they did play very well. Um, There were three early power plays, including a minute and a half, five on three, and there was a great chance with the net wide open and the shot hit the post and didn't go in the net. Um, You know, that would have been helpful, I think, to to get the early lead. But the biggest concern of Game 3 was the very real appearance that the Blue Jackets looked tired, and they have played more hockey than anybody else is playing right now. Yeah, it was the only qualifying play. series that went five games. There were yep, two overtime games distance. in that. We already talked about the five overtime game. Mm-hmm. Um, they have played a lot of hockey in a short period of time, and there's, you know, it it catches up with you. So, i I will be interested to see if there are new new faces in the lineup, just to try to get some fresh legs in there. Because look, it's great that Seth Jones can play sixty five minutes in a game, but. You need him to do that, and then you need him to come back and play 28 to 30 minutes the next game, and then you need another 30 minutes. And before you know it, all of that racks up, and all of a sudden the the player isn't as sharp as he normally is. And the same is true with the goaltending. And I, I truly think that if Elvis Merzlikens was healthy because he got hurt against Toronto in game four, I think if he was healthy that he starts either game two or game three to give Corpus Allo a break because he's tired. And he looked all of that in game three. So it's not an excuse. It's a fact. Uh, the team doesn't use it as an excuse, but uh, I just hope that a, a day without a game, and it's not even a full two days because they played nope. at 7.30 and now they've got to come back and play 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The schedule maker has not been kind to the Columbus Blue Jackets by any means. So, um, you know, I, the only thing I hope to see out of them is more sharpness than they had in game three, because that, that was their undoing. They, they made mistakes. They turned a the puck over 18 times. They normally don't do that. And it led to odd man rushes. And that's what they cannot have against Tampa. They've they they, they um, they've got to keep them close. And they, it's got to be a tight checking game. The minute it's not, they're in trouble.
1: Who could you see in the lineup tomorrow to give some guys that have played 30, 40, 50 minutes, three games in less than a week in this series, plus the five, plus the, They basically played eight games, almost eight and a half games. The problem is,
2: yeah, the problem is you're not going to take out a Seth Jones, though, Um, and you'd like to cut his minutes down. But, you know, the changes, when I say changes, it'll be interesting. I guess that's almost misleading because I'll tell you the only changes I would expect to see. I would expect that maybe Emil Bemstrom comes back out of the lineup and maybe a Kevin Stenland goes in who hasn't played yet in these playoffs, who's – You know, he he has a good shot on the power play. Bemstrom, that's supposed to be his bread and butter. He missed on his opportunity on the power play. He had been scratched early in the series, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if he came back out. Cam Atkinson, I don't know his status. Uh, That would have certainly helped in a five-on-three power play to have his talent in the lineup. They didn't. Um, so I don't know if um, perhaps he could come back in. If you're going to take out a defenseman, I'll tell you right now, it'll be the sixth guy, Dean Cookin, who's been out of the lineup before. So I can talk about putting in fresh faces, but, y- you know, you're not going to take out – You don't a- have much. No, you don't, and you don't score much either. So, I mean, as soon as Tampa got three and they're, they're challenging you to score four times, uh, this Blue Jackets team doesn't score four goals in a game very often, so – Again, bad formula. You're, you've got to win two to one games, and um, you just can't give up more than two goals. I don't think against this team, and that's a, a very tall task.
1: You can, you know this where if you have in baseball, you know this from baseball. You got to have good pitching. You got to have good defense, and you got to be able to score at least more than one run. If you're asking your pitching, your defense to keep the other team off the board every night, at some point, all that's going to catch up on, catch up to you because your offense hadn't been wasn't able to do anything.
2: Well that's right. And I mean uh what what was really evident to me in game 3. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about how this team has overcome the loss of free agents last summer and they have. I mean, th- nobody expected them to be in the playoffs and they're here. And they got through the qualifying round, they're legit in the playoffs. And it was it want. was a
1: five game series and it went right. it was basically brutal.
2: And they're and they're here. So um but When you lose a guy that has the offensive talent that Artemi Panarin has, and this is what happened late in the game, they couldn't even get out of their own zone. Wow. They were just – they were – the Tampa cut off their passes. Uh, They couldn't skate the puck. When you have an Artemi Panarin kind of a guy, that's the kind of guy that takes a puck and he just weaves his way right through the neutral zone. He skates you out of trouble. And lacking that kind of an offensive force was uh, looming large, I thought, in the second and third period of that game three. But, again, you know, it's all doom and gloom after you lose a game. We were I was joking with uh, Jody Shelley, our television color analyst, about this last night. He goes, uh, every time they win, we think they're never going to lose again. Every time they lose, we think the season's going to be over. So, who knows? We'll come back for game four.
1: So... What things are ahead? Getting ready for as much as you can for tomorrow. Today, after we finish, after we close the interview out, because I know you probably get to a pressure or something. Yeah, I got John Tortorella to to this
2: afternoon. Yeah, I got Torc this afternoon. And
1: uh, what's it like? What's it like working with him and all your in <clears throat> the other coaches you've done with in the sports that you've covered? What are they as a broadcaster? What have they brought to you as to either do your job better or is it mostly? Research and hope and pray you don't mess it up.
2: no, I think they all help to make you better um, there are There are some guys that are nice guys, and you know you enjoyed working with them, and when you see them, you say hi, and that's the extent of that. There are others that are um, you become close friends with and and you still talk to all the time, even if you haven't worked together for many years. When I was in Syracuse, Gary Agnew was my head coach for six years. Before he left to be an assistant in Columbus and eventually went on to be an assistant in St. Louis and uh, Pittsburgh after that. Um, still one of my closest friends. Uh, we talk, I mean, we don't talk every day, but, you know, every couple of weeks he'll call me or I'll call him just to say hello, check and see what's going on. Um, you know, so that is, you know, he's he's been the guy that had the, the most effect on me because he was... Um, you know, when he came into the American Hockey League, he came from the Ontario Hockey League, and he had to learn and adjust, and I was only my second year in the American Hockey League, and my third year or fourth year overall in pro hockey, and, um, you know, I, I think he and I kind of grew together a little bit in in the, you know, learning just how to do life in, in the American Hockey League. So, uh, you know, I'm close with him, but I got to tell you, and people that don't ever have the opportunity to meet the man or work with the man and just watch YouTube clips and uh, read things that are written about him by certain media members will be shocked by this. But John Tortorella is, is one of the best people I've ever been around. And I so thoroughly enjoy working with torts. Um, You know, again, he started in the low minor leagues like I did. So there is a level of respect. He knows, what I've done to reach this level. Uh, he did many of the same things in the same leagues, so he gets it. So there's a level of respect there. Um, he makes me be better because I, when, when I talk to him, I've got to be got be on my toes. I can't just go in there and try to BS my way through it because he'll sniff that out and, and he'll be on me about it. So he makes me better. But at the same time, we've developed a, a friendship to where – I really feel like I can ask him anything, and I'm not saying he's going to answer it every time, but many, many, and most times he does. And and I can pick on him on or off mic. Um, you know, he's kind of a he, he's kind of a uh, I, if I say bully, it makes him sound bad. But what he's he's a Boston guy. Like he, he loves to just give you the gears. He he just loves to give you grief. And my feeling is, if you don't give it right back to him, then he's got you. And and he knows – it's almost like a sign of weakness, right? But if you come right back at him, then it turns into respect. And I've had that relationship with him ever since he's gotten here. Um, The first interview I did with him, I was – I wasn't scared to death because I'm I'm not 18 years old, but I was pretty nervous because I I knew that, you know, I had to be on top of my game. So he does help me to get better. And I've told him that. I've told him that at the end of seasons. I said, Torch, you know, because of the – the standard that you have for your team and and all around everything that we do because we're around them so much. Uh, I said, you just, I just, I know that I have to be, I I can't be half asleep when I come here. I can't be checked out when I, when I show up here, you you make me better uh, because of how you are and the, the high standards that you have about the team overall. So he has been, he's been great. I dread the day. I know there'll be a day he's no longer here. And I dread that day. Very much because he, he's transformed this organization into a winner uh, with that accountability. He's an old school guy. I'm an old school guy. Old school doesn't fly very much anymore. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a <laughs> good mix and it it's a good mix and it's fun. I, he said to me in an interview. Um, this was during the Toronto series. We were talking about the goaltenders, and he said. He said, let's face it, if it wasn't for these two guys, I might be back there with you right now help, helping to coach your son's baseball team. We wouldn't be in the bubble. <laughs> and um, and I said to him after he finished his answer, I said, well, Torrance, if you were coaching with me, that would be the toughest 18-year-old baseball team in the state of Ohio, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> and he laughed about it. And that's the kind of relationship that we have, and I cherish that. I really do. I, I've told my wife many times, I, I've said something to him like on the phone or I've texted him something. And I've said to my wife, I cannot believe that I just said that to John Tortorella (laughs) and that he's laughing about it or he's cool with it, you know, because you don't get that sense from the YouTube clips. You think he hates everybody and he's going to tear you apart. He is one of the most genuine, caring people. He cares about his players. He cares about the people on his staff. He cares about the people that are around. And he's the kind of person that he doesn't go and he doesn't broadcast it. He doesn't broadcast. He is fine being the bad guy. That, that that makes no difference to him whatsoever. But when you're around him and you see what he does, he's he's one of the greatest
1: people I've been involved with in pro sports. Speaking of family, have, sorry, Kat, at this point we haven't gotten to this yet. As a broadcaster, I know there's a lot of days and a lot of nights where you're not home and – dealing with kids, or if you only have one kid, but dealing with having a wife, having kid, or kids. How is that dynamic like dealing, being a family person, plus being the actual voice of a team and handling that?
2: Well, it's busy, but it's great. Um, because I get to, I have two boys. One's 18 and one's 16. <laughs> um, you know, in the early days of their lives, I was in triple a doing triple a baseball and doing the american hockey league mm-hmm. so i was doing i'd roll from one season right into another the two weeks i had off were at the end of the baseball season which was labor day weekend and two weeks later hockey training camp would start so once they got to school to school age then you know those two weeks were pretty much out because i was working and they had to go to school when i wasn't working but um it is i've I've gotten to share so much with them now in in total honesty, my oldest played baseball and hockey all the way through high school. Uh, my youngest got out of playing sports at about about nine or 10 years old. I realized if I was going to force him to stay in it, I was just doing it for myself. I wasn't doing it for him because he really didn't enjoy it like the other one. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so they're very different, but, um, the things that I've gotten to share with, with my kids Um, the places that we've gone they've gone to to Detroit to watch a game at the Joe before it closed Uh, they went with me at Christmas time this year to Washington DC and and went and watched the game we got to stay in the hotel together they got to you know kind of see the got to see the nice hotels that we stay in not like the travel hockey hotels that my son (laughs) usually stays in Um, you know so those those types of things have been they've been really special and really fun um for my oldest son, because he's so involved in, in both the sports, uh, being able to take him to practices and uh, introduce him to people and watching him at a very young age, my first year here, uh, introducing him to Rick Nash when he was still playing and, and watching him almost pass out because he was like seven or eight years old and he was shaking Rick Nash's hand. Um, that stuff is its great. and And I had the same kind of feeling – two years ago when I introduced him to Wayne Gretzky and the, they were talking about playing baseball and about how they hated playing baseball outside in the freezing cold in March and April. So, um, you know, those kind of things I will, uh, I, I'll cherish those forever. It, it's tough being away from home, but it's just been kind of a way of life for us. Um, my wife has been terrific. Whereas, you know, she lets me do this. Uh, she's always, been with me through this there's never been a time where she's said can't you do something else where you're not gone as much or uh, not having to work a, a crazy schedule like you do at times never once has that come into any discussions um i've always had the support from her and and from my kids and and it's funny you're asking me about this now because my oldest just uh just left a couple of days ago because he's going to a baseball academy down in florida Oh, wow. it was it the the college he was going to go to a junior college and they canceled all their sports because of this pandemic so uh, he had to regroup and you know after a long search and a lot of talks we decided that this uh, baseball academy would might be a good opportunity for him let the colleges sort everything out and you know come back next year and and try to go down there and work out and one sport specific train and you know, he's he's almost at the 90-mile-an-hour mark. He's a right-handed pitcher, so, you know, if he can get stronger and get up over that, you know, maybe there'll be some more opportunities for him in a couple of months from now. But, you know,
1: he's uh, he left. Future, and it, Maybe another future Kirk Schilling, maybe?
2: May, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> that would be great as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, I um, it's hard for me because I spent all this time with him, and, and I've been coaching him in baseball ever since he's been eight years old. That's one great thing about having this job. I get the summer off now. Mm-hmm. and i could still do my baseball stuff i was coaching uh with him and uh and it's going to be really weird not having him around and not having yeah. the uh, you know he, he was kind of my he was my game prep guy a lot in the last couple of years too because he used to come down in the mornings and turn on nhl network and um when i would come down he had already watched the show probably one time through and uh all i had to do was say hey what happened in that arizona vegas game oh let me tell you what happened with that in the third period you know i didn't even have to watch the highlights he would just give it all to me sweet um so it's uh yeah and it and i'm happy i'm happy that he's going to go and he's going to try to pursue a dream Mm -hmm. and if that dream doesn't work out he wants to uh be a he wants to be a video guy he and during high school in that video production class uh he did the opening videos for the football team that they played on their scoreboard and stuff uh he's He's done some shooting at Blue Jackets games, just coming down and, and hanging out with our game ops people and doing that. So uh, he wants he wants to have a career, and he says he doesn't want to be a broadcaster. I don't know why, because number one, he talks a lot, and he actually knows what he's talking about. So I'm just going to let that take its course and see where it goes. But um, you know, I'm not I'm not going to force him to be me. But I, I am proud that uh, I'm proud that he wants to be in sports. I'm, I'm proud that he was rounded enough to fall in love with it. And that's what he would like to pursue. And I'm glad that my other one is that he has his things that he likes to do and that, um, you know, he and I have found the things that we have in common. And it's so I'm not doing the same thing all the time. Like with my younger one, uh, he likes to ride bikes a lot. We're going a lot of bike rides on the Mm -hmm. bike trails and stuff and hang out and talk like that. So um, it's different, but it's great all around. And I know I went a long time on that. But like I said, you asked me on the wrong weekend where I'm kind of – I'm kind of really feeling lonely right now because I'm here all by myself. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and they're not all coming back. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Really? It's life, and it's it's what we do in sports, sure. right? I mean, and and that's why I'm okay with it. And when he left the other day, I was so busy doing all this. I was doing interviews and do I had two shows to do, and I felt like I didn't have enough time to to really say goodbye to him. But you know, we're sports people, so it's not really goodbye. But that's
1: got to be like, kind of tough, though, because, like you said, you're doing interviews or yeah, trying I, to get your stuff ready for another hockey game and your oldest the is this disease. Yeah, it's, it's the playoffs, playoffs, and he gets it. It's probably still got to be kind of hard that you had the broadcast hat on, but you're trying to be dad, too.
2: Yeah, but on the other hand, I knew that I was playing tough guy and it was going to be tougher for me than I was going to admit to anybody, so <laughs> it also let me kind of hide in the shadows. Sure. Um you know, and, and my plans are when we're done with the playoffs, whether it be now, whether it be in October, the next season is not supposed to start until November. You know, I want to go down there and I I want to watch him play. And I just, you know, want to be able to hang out in, in his world. And, you know, he'll have his world now. Yeah. I mean, it's always been in my world, but it'll be in his world, the baseball world. And, uh, you know, the pitching coach at the academy he's going to, I saw pitch back in 2001 when he was in the expo system pitching in Ottawa. So, you know, uh, he and I have had those conversations about the International League Baseball, and mm. and I know he's in some good hands with some people down there. And look, I got to live my dream in life, and I, I just hope he
1: does too. Well, I know you got to get some stuff done, but I appreciate the time. It went over an hour, so, you know, I didn't mean to even take up that much.
2: Time. No, that's fine. Like no. I said, I'm sitting here all by myself. I'm all good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Until well, I have torts, I've got nothing. But I, but I do wonder, though, since we were on the subject of family, but going back to learning from George Matthews, has your game prep changed with whatever this normal is, or is it pretty much the same, or what did you feel like prep-wise you learned from George Matthews that you still use even though you were number two, but now you're flying solo as a number one?
2: Oh, Georgie would spend hours upon hours of game prep. Um, that was one difference between the two of us. Just because you know he was here and and he he was by himself and he had all the time in the world to do things. Whereas you know my kids were much younger at that time and I had all this family stuff going on and I'm trying to you know get ready for my job and take my kids to school and you know get help my 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 son at the time was not just playing hockey. He, he tried them all when he was coming through grade school. He played a couple of years of football and some basketball and he's playing hockey. And, you know, my wife or I was running them all around. So, you know, George had that extra time to do many, many more hours worth of game prep than I did, but it goes back to that whole he prep so much and never used half of it. So nice. I just, I tried to, um, you know, I did what I could around, around my, the schedule. So I I think there is when I learned, you kind of learn what's pertinent. You know what I mean? Um, You know, I don't have seven hours to do it. I've got two hours to do it. So let's figure out how we're going to do seven hours worth of work in in two hours. And let's, let's figure out what, uh, what I think are the most important things. Let's just go right to it with that. So, you know, that's what, that was the difference between us. So he always had far more, which was great because then he could give whatever he had. Um, but then we always – you know, there was always a common ground there too because some things in games are – you know, those are no-brainers. Everybody's going to prepare on certain points. And then there are other things like, you know, he loved eccentric stats. Um, I'm not a huge stats guy because I – to me, you can, you can take stats and you can make whatever you want to out of them. Um, you know, this advanced stats, I, I told you earlier, I'm old school. I don't have time for all that stuff. I, maybe I should – um, I still love the eye test. I know that there's a common ground between the advanced stats and the eye test. And uh, I'm trying to get there on that slowly, but surely. But yeah, George loved all the, uh, he always kicking had a whole bunch streaming. of extreme. He had extraneous stuff and that's because he had more time to sit around all day than I did.
1: Basically trying to, basically trying to come to the 21st century, maybe into the 22nd, kicking and <laughs> screaming, whether you want to or not.
2: That's right. That's exactly
1: so, right. Last thing is, what are your have-to-haves and your go-tos in game prep that you feel like you're ready to go in a broadcast? Like, if you if you took away all the extra stuff the NHL gives you, you know, from the information directors and media relations folks, what are your go-tos and your have-to-haves to make you feel like you're comfortable and ready to go for a broadcast? Besides the roster, of course, because we, we know those are obvious.
2: Well, I, I was just going to say, if, if you gave me a roster uh, besides that pronunciations, um, if I had those two things, I could make it work. I could, I could get you through it. But um, besides that, if I didn't have all my stuff from the NHL, I mean, then I would either have to have uh, – a computer to look up the, the stuff that I want to find on my own or a newspaper. You know, back in the day when I started this, newspapers were very, very helpful. Definitely. Um, that is gone by the wayside now. <laughs> yeah, well, they're technically newspapers, but we re- read them on the computer, right? Yes. Um, and then beyond that, the other thing is talking to the other guys in your profession, right? I mean, one thing that we always do when, when you're playing another team is you talk to the broadcast guys on the other team. And you ask them because they know the most about their guys. You know the most about your guys, so you're just trading notes and trading stories. Morning skates—that is commonplace. Um, What's it like if, dealing
1: with the teams that are in your on your side of the of the um, division? The broadcast team on the radio side and TV side in the division, and then when you go, when you. Cross pollinate and go to the west and you know, do the western con do the western road swings and things like that through Canada and other places like that. When you have an 82 game sketch, uh,
2: what do you mean? What's it like dealing with them just the travel itself or the other people? Or
1: yeah, like if, you, if you're if in their arena or if they're coming to oh. you or vice versa, and like they know hockey announcers, broadcasters, it's got to be like a fraternity and now with Seattle coming on board next season with the, with Evan Fitzhugh, who's going to be the voice of the team, which was leaked last week. I think he's their director of broadcasting. I think it used to be a, a part of the Cincinnati Cyclones.
2: Right. And yeah. It, so, so, so yeah, it's, it's a fraternity. I mean, because we're all, we're all here now. Um Most of us were, in, in most of us spend the time in the East coast hockey league or the American hockey league or both, you know, so for him to come into Seattle, he's already, look, he was in the East coast hockey league. I was in the East coast hockey league. There's already something in common. So becoming part of the fraternity is,
1: uh, and Whiteman I think was a part of the Cincinnati Cyclones too? I think I remember that's why i yeah. first heard him. I think yep.
2: yes. well, he You're did when they were
1: right. on WSAI. So I kind of, yeah, this might have
2: been in the International Hockey League when they was. It,
1: yeah, the it may have been because yeah. I know I know they switched from a whole bunch of different leagues from the IHL to the right. CHL.
2: Right, but but again, I'm most of us, and I'm trying to think of who didn't have any time uh, on their way here.
1: And I'm sure there's I think somebody Michigan else. did. I think I remember hearing a story, Dave Michigan.
2: Yeah, Dave Michigan helped to hire me be the mascot in Johnstown. He was in Johnstown when I was a mascot. He was one one of the two guys that took me out to the mall at lunchtime, dressed in the costume, to evaluate how I interacted with people, believe it or not. Okay, I get uh, it.
1: Now, the the follow-up question is this. Does Michigan always have his energy turned up to a honey every time? No, (laughs) no, no. Wow.
2: And then, you know, and it was funny because when, when Dave, like, yeah, he was in Johnstown doing the radio and then, you know, he left. And and um, so I was two guys after him doing the radio there. And then when I went to Syracuse, he was in Hershey. So it was just ironic that he helped to hire me to be a mascot. And yet then we were both working at the same level in the American Hockey League. And then he went to the NHL. And lo and behold, I got that same chance a couple of years later. So, uh, and I, my math
1: is right, like John Walton was also in Hershey.
2: John Walton was in Hershey. Was also with the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks in uh, the American Hockey League. Yeah, before the Cincinnati that. Mighty
1: Ducks. Wow! Oh yeah, that, that's a blast on the past. I wonder. I wonder if that's where they got the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Now they're just the Anaheim Ducks because I know that movie franchise has come on with a lot of different with a lot of teams that had duck in their name.
2: Yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, they were affiliated with Anaheim, and uh, they were the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. And Mike Babcock coached there. I remember interviewing Mike Babcock uh, when he was coaching there.
1: I believe he's coaching um, in Toronto now, right? That you guys just eliminated last No, Sunday? he
2: got he got fired early in the year. Ah, okay, um, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, Brad Shaw coached there. Brad Shaw's now our uh, our assistant coach who runs a defense here in Columbus. So, yeah, that was uh, playing in the old Cincinnati Gardens, which unfortunately is gone now. <laughs> um, my son went, My son actually played travel hockey in that same building, so I I found that to be quite funny that. Uh, I was back in the building. I had that happen a lot, even here in Columbus. In East Coast Hockey League, we played the Columbus Chill. And uh, I come back here, and the first year my son played travel hockey, was playing in the same building on the fairgrounds where we used to come and play the Chill. So uh, it's a funny world sometimes. Places that you think that you're never going to go again become integral parts of your life, and you just don't know it.
1: Who have you met for the first time when you came to the league that – you didn't want cross pat that you didn't have a connection with. That was kind of not tough to deal with, but it took you a little bit before you and them on the broadcast side built a broadcast friendship.
2: Uh, oh, that's a good question. I Nobody really jumps out like that. I mean, the guys in this league are pretty welcoming, you know, and, and again, they know your history. Um, Oh, who was it? I can't remember who it was early on. That I know who it was. It was John Shorthouse who was in Vancouver. First time we went to Vancouver, he came in. Is he, he introduced himself.
1: TV or is he done now? Yeah,
2: no, he's he's still doing Sportsnet. He um he came into my booth. He introduced himself, and he read me my resume. So he had done his homework. He knew he knew where I had been before I got there, and I, I was I was impressed. I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is that. That's pretty nice. Like, he just
0: back
2: on me. Um, so that, yeah, I, there's not really anybody that uh, that I can think of that he had to warm up to or anything like that. I mean, it's just uh, you know, Again, we all come from the same background, and we all have the same dreams, and, and we're all here living those dreams. And um, there are there are people. I mean, Kenny Albert has been great to me. When John Tortorella got hired here, I called Kenny Albert, and I go, "Okay, what do I need to know about this guy?" <laughs> And he was great. And the biggest piece of advice he gave me is if you ask good questions, you will get great answers. And wow. that has been so dead on. And that's why I get great answers. Not because I ask the greatest questions, but because we've developed a relationship where Torch knows that I'm not, I, I'm, I'm going to be prepared. And when I'm talking and you're not about it, BS him? yeah, yeah, I'm not going to be, oh, he knows that for sure. Sometimes it probably bugs him. Pro- Sometimes there, there's probably once or twice he wishes I would try to BS him, but I won't. But um, you know, Kenny's been great. And I would have never thought that. I mean, Kenny's on national TV; he's doing all the sports, and you know, and every time I see him, he tells me about his daughter's going to school in Syracuse, where again I I lived for ten years, and so <laughs> um, that kind of stuff is funny. I, I was very nervous to meet Mike Lang in Pittsburgh. Because, I was going to just
1: ask you about that.
2: You know, <laughs> I mean, you idolize people for the job they do, and. And you just hope when you meet those people, they're going to be the same person that you thought they were. And Mike Lang is every bit of that, every bit of it. Did um, you watch
1: the series of voices on him on YouTube? Yes. Yes. Awesome stuff. Yes. I um, I went in. I I've
2: almost never been so shocked and/or scared in my life as a couple of years ago. We went into Pittsburgh for a preseason game. We had played at home the night before. Mike gets his little spot in the media room where he prepares and he writes down his notes downstairs before he goes up to the press box.
1: And now the media room has his, now the media center has his name on it. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so
2: we, um, we went in there for a pregame meal. Mike was sitting back in his corner and I went over and I started to talk to him and he said, I listened to your game last night like, oh and it was like panic. Mike Lang listened to my game. And I, I, I mean, I just never thought of that. I listened to a million of Mike Lang's games. Never once in my life did I think Mike Lang would listen to my game. And I was like, oh boy, uh, how was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was really good. You do a good job. <laughs> you know, it was, I could I was like a 10 year old. I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to say.
1: How was because, it? Like, like
2: what? What kind of question is that? <laughs> a
1: broadcast, a broadcast legend, like the voice of God. After listening to me, <laughs> exactly. really, come on. Exactly. That do, that doesn't happen.
2: Ah, uh, but he's and, so he he's so great. I I did a I did a long interview with him for a podcast uh, earlier this season, and he was awesome, and he told great stories, and we were done, and I said, I'm going to ask you for a strange favor here because my wife asked if I would get a picture with you she would like to have a picture of you and i together and he was all about it and he was great and it was it was just awesome and it's and then i have the picture on my phone and um it's it's going to get put into a frame because that that is the most special guy for me i mean you know i i spent i spent 40 years before i you know basically got into into this role here so you know that was that was my team when I was growing up. They're not anymore. I, I, I hate them. I like those guys, but well, I hate the
1: you, Penguins. Cause... You deal you deal with them because you have to play them almost like what oh, four yeah. times a year, Yeah,
2: and it sucks. A year? It sucks to hate them because I like my I like Mike. I like Phil Bork, and you know Phil Bork was winning cups when I was you know coming out of high school, and so you know now I I interview him. I work with him as a peer. It's like you pinch me sometimes with these guys. You right? know what was
1: awesome though. What's that? When the Penguins had the qualifier and Langley got to do all of them. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. cause I thought that I thought it was going to be Josh gets off. Yeah. Cause I know he's probably going to take over Mike Lang's spot when Mike officially retires.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, and I, went, cause
1: I, cause I knew we, Mike had cut back on his schedule for a bit yeah. and I'm like, thank God he was able to at least do the qualifiers. I'm like, at least there's some consistency in this world, at least.
2: <laughs> That's right. Well, in addition to to liking Mike, it, you know, there are two guys on the Penguin staff, the Dana Heinze, who's the, the head equipment manager, and Chris Stewart, who's the athletic trainer. We all worked together in Johnstown in the East Coast League years ago. So, I mean, I, I like all of those people, and I hate that team because we've lost them in too many <laughs> key situations over the years. Well, you
1: knocked them out two, two years ago.
2: No, I it? listen, I go to uh, – last time we played them in the playoffs, I went to uh, the ballpark when we got in there. Greg, Brown, who's, uh, yeah, Greg Brown's the voice of the Pirates. And I had talked to Greg on the phone. I'd never met him. So we came in uh, the night before game one, and the Pirates were playing. And I went over to the stadium, and I went to the press box, and I was talking with Greg, and he's like, are you going to see any family while you're in town? I said, no. And he, he kind of had a strange look on his face. I said, Greg. Everyone in my family wants my team to lose. Why would I speak to them? I'll talk to them later in the summer when this is all over. I am not talking to
1: any of them now. (laughs) And he started laughing. He goes, you know what? I never thought about that. That's the best way to look at it. Good for you. He's like, hey, right now, they're my friend enemies. I'll deal with them later.
2: First playoff game we played against the Penguins in their arena. Um, Jody Shelley told me, you will hate everything about this franchise by the time this series is over and he was right. Yeah, and I said, "No, oh, Jody, I mean, come on. I mean, I mean, I I want to win here, but it's I hated." And it didn't even take until the puck dropped. It was <laughs> it was the fans chanting "Let's go Pens" before the teams came out on the ice to start the game. And all of a sudden I realized there's
0: 20,000 right. people here
2: that want me to go home. And I don't want to go home. I want our team to win. So, you know, it was uh it was an eye-opening experience. There's no question about it.
1: What was what's it like at the United Center when you go play the Blackhawks and they had their pregame stuff and then you get to the anthem before puck drop. That's part and of it. The and then at the end of it, you got chills going up your back, down your arms, through your hand. I mean, it's like whoa. It's, it's like the only place I is- take
2: off my only place I take off my headset so I can drink it all in. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm because it's I, nowhere else. is it, It's not worth it anywhere else. I mean, it's, you know, it, there's not that energy. I mean, I, I think you have to actually just take off the headsets and just be in it to appreciate it.
1: I mean, when I listen to it on YouTube every time, it never gets old because no. it's like it feels like you've been transported to another time. I don't know what it is or what about it. That makes me feel that way, especially even though you're dealing with the – black. I enjoy our local hockey team. Every time they go to Chicago, it's like, I really want the Predators to win, but at least for five seconds or at least a good minute and a half to two minutes. Allow me to enjoy the best anthem in all the NHL, please. That's right. That's right. That, there are,
2: There's a lot of times you don't enjoy the rest of the game, so just enjoy that part of it.
1: And of course, when the Cubs and Cardinals play, when Wayne Messmer does a national anthem, I'm like, "Yes, we can now officially play." <laughs> now I can go back to hating you until the and when the, until the series is over. <laughs> because Joey Shelley's right, though you you respect them unless either you work for the team or you listen to either your team's broadcast against against that team that has been a rival for you for years.
2: Yeah, and I'll and I'll tell you something else that is funny because you brought up josh Getzoff, who's Mm -hmm. working the road games that mike lang doesn't work yeah i mean look growing up and getting into this business if i was going to do hockey and and i thought i was going to be a baseball guy i i wanted to do the pittsburgh pirates that was my dream and if if hockey was going to be in it you know at one point uh it would have been the pittsburgh penguins there's no doubt Sure. And it and it's funny because Mike is, you know, he's cutting back, as you said, and, and mm-hmm. Josh is doing those games. And once upon a time, there would have been a part of me, I think, that would have been kind of like, well, yeah. they brought this guy in, like I'm in the league. What if I but, – but I don't feel like that at all because, first of all, I like Josh. He's a great guy and he's a hard worker. And the other thing about it is I want to be Mike Lang – with the Blue Jackets. And, and I mean, I think there is great pride in in staying with a franchise
0: for your entire
2: career. And and I wasn't here when they started in 2000, but I was in the American Hockey League when they started. I mean, from, from a distance, from the beginning, I've been part of this. And, and I used to do reports that would air during the intermissions on the Blue Jackets radio network. And, and I came up and filled in a couple of times for George Matthews when he had to miss games. Like when it comes to the National Hockey League, this is the only franchise that I know, and I am very proud of that. Very proud of that. Mm-hmm. And and I and you, hope and I can do part it. Of
1: their, and you've been a part of the organization from the bottom yeah. all the way up to now. So yeah, that, and I, it's and, what you know, right?
0: And I, if you, and I'm if like you this,
1: got if you got stuck in another league, if you got stuck with another team, you probably have no idea. <laughs> well,
2: well, you just. It's like that would be kind of throwing stuff away, you know what I mean? I mean, this is this is what I am. I, I'm I'm a blue jacket, and I'm proud to be a blue jacket, and I want to be one for a long time. And again, looking at the Mike Lang model, if I can, I can work here for thirty years or in, until I'm, you know, starting to get to the age where I can't do all the games, and and there's a young guy coming in and doing some of them and pushing me. I would, uh, I'd be just fine with that. I think that would be terrific.
0: Okay,
1: this is definitely the last one. <laughs> we've, we've gone all the way around the world in 80 days, but this <laughs> has been fun. Um, did you come up with the line, it's time to put on your jackets, or was that something that was buzzing around in your head when Matthews retired and you were moving to the number one chair? And how tough was it to replace the legend that basically had done the Blue Jackets for almost two decades? well you, sec- you had big shoes to fill though
0: yeah
2: the answer to the second part it was hard um but but it wasn't as hard because i wasn't coming in and filling that the next day there was four years of me being in the organization doing color doing mm-hmm. um stuff on the web doing shows you know it wasn't like i was just uh one day george was gone and i came out of the minor leagues and the, and i took over on the job and you know, there there was there was still a direct comparison, but there was a body of work of four years already there for the fans. Right. You know what I mean?
1: You'd already amass you'd already yeah. amassed some knowledge to do what you needed right. to do.
2: They knew who you were, they knew that you were part of what was going on here, and they knew that you were familiar with the team and all that stuff. So yeah. so that made that transition easier. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. I mean it's not the um, it's not the normal route by any means, but it worked for me. And uh, and it yeah, gave and the credibility. Suit. In a
1: in a mascot suit. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
2: But it, it gave me credibility, you know, immediately taking over play-by-play play because I'd already been here four years. Um, but still, but, but it's hard because that's when people have one thing for a long, long time and then, and then it changes, it's, it's still not easy. You know, they always say that Sometimes the the toughest job is to replace the legend, and usually mm. there's there's a guy between the legend and the next legend, right? And there's usually a buffer because, um, it just works that way because people tend to not like the the very next guy, right? And then you get to a third guy, and then he's okay because he's not the second guy. So anyway, um, being here for the, for the four years uh, really helped with that. Like a buddy of mine, John Michael, who does the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavalier. And, you know, John's doing TV now, but when he, Joe Tate retired, you want to talk about a ledge. Joe Tate retired. He done radio. it forever. Right. And John took that job over. And I was like,
1: Phew.
2: I, we joked about that. I go, Hey, good luck replacing the legend. You know what happens with that very next guy.
1: <laughs> right. So who? So who's doing the radio side for them now? Cause if John Michaels doing, TV, I
2: don't know. They hired a, they hired a Cleveland guy. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I
1: don't know either. Cause I haven't listened to a Cavs game in quite some time.
2: Yeah. But, um, but so working with George, replacing George was tough. the The hardest thing about replacing George was not having George around every day, mm. not having his friendship, not having his quips, not having, um, you know, his energy and his excitement. And um, you know, you just kind of you can't avoid it. He's just like he, he's the nicest guy in the world. Do anything for you. Give you the shirt right off his back. That guy. So th- the hardest part about replacing George was not having George around all the time. Um the other part to put on your jackets that is uh when i was in syracuse uh, i always started every broadcast with it's crunch time in syracuse so i was just looking for something to start it and and that came up and kind of fit and i I've, I've just been using it ever since i you know i'll i'll disclose to you there's sometimes i'm like should I change that? Is it too cheesy? But now it's gone on for like seven years. So I, I actually know, like I,
1: it, even, even though sometimes the producer takes a second for the switch for your mic to get turned on, because sometimes it's right at the end when yeah, I've heard they get that. done with the main music. It's like, your jacket's four. I'm like, yeah. okay. Like,
2: has that happened in the playoffs? Because yes, I heard has. that same thing.
1: Yes, it has. It, 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 okay. When I have listened to the broadcast, it's at least happened all, either all three games or at least four. My wife told me it was happening my, round.
2: my wife said she heard it happen twice and I've been I've been giving it an extra couple of beats when I'm told that you're up. I've still paused in the last couple of games to try to avoid that so that's why I'm asking you that because I heard that and I well, keep forgetting yes. to I keep forgetting to try to police that so thank you for reminding me
1: Well, I'll put it this way your lovely bride has good ears <laughs> <laughs> well oh, she, yeah. she you knows know. what
2: goes on, believe me.
1: There was one other person I did want to ask you about since you were in the American Hockey League. Yeah. The longtime voice at the Scranton Wilkes-Barre baby pins and Tom Grace, who's who's not in the play-by-play side anymore, but I think he's like in the business side or somewhere office now instead of doing PXP. I talked to him once, maybe twice. Even though he didn't, he had a lot to do. Nicest guy. And he even filled in a couple of Preds games when Pete couldn't – I think there was like a couple of games where they split off and they had Tom Grizz doing the action on the radio. So, cool play-by-play guy.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen Tommy for a while now. Um, there's another guy that – funny story. We both started in the East Coast Hockey League at the same time. He was with the Hampton Roads Admirals, and I was in Johnstown. He was working with John Brophy as the head coach in Hampton Roads, which I'm sure was – a uh, very interesting situation in its own right, because Brof is a legend in that league. Um, but
1: Didn't they name a rink after him or something in that league? Brofie?
2: Uh, maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. You know. but he. Um, so Tom was in Hampton Roads, right. and when Wokesbury came in, into being, I can't remember if I applied for that job. I think I did. Yeah, I would have applied for it because I was in Johnstown, so I would have tried to get that job. And anyway, they ended up taking uh, Tom, and that was, you know, that's great. I mean, a guy from our league got there and got to move up. But ironically, and I didn't know this until years after the fact. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, so well, what I didn't know was I had put in for the Syracuse job, mm-hmm. and I was um, I was interviewing, and it was kind of a combo interview because the the team. Uh, was interviewing me and the program director at the radio station was interviewing me to do afternoon sports as part of my responsibilities of doing the, the games. So it was kind of a dual thing. And, um, and anyway, um, I found out later that when my boss in Syracuse had just happened to talk to Tom Grace, Uh, he was, you know, I, I think Tom was calling around introducing himself to PR guys in the league. Mm -hmm. And um, my guy in Syracuse just asked Tom if he knew me because they were looking at my stuff at the time. And and Tom said really great things about me, and and it held a lot of weight because, you know, he was like, well, here's a guy that I don't know, and he could say anything about you, and he said really good things about you. So I already liked, thought I liked you, and then, you know, to get – something like that from somebody else was uh, was a big plus. So I, d- I didn't even know how much Tom had helped me get that job until, like I said, a long time after I had
1: it. And a guy that's no longer with us, who I remember with the AAA baby preds for a long time, and I talked to him. he was another nice guy that I remember back at for the Admirals, Kyle Schultz. Yes.
2: Yeah, I remember Kyle. I'd, I'd um, I talked to Kyle. I think f- just a couple of months, maybe before before he passed away. I think I um, talked to him the
1: day before. Really? I think.
2: See, so we I didn't play been. them very very often, but something had happened that I called him uh, and we spoke. I forget what what was going on in the league at the time, but like I said, we didn't play Milwaukee very often, uh, just the way the schedule set up and. Um, but I, I had to call him for some reason, and it was a short time after that that he was gone. So I remember thinking, man, I, I'm glad I had a reason to call
1: him. My thanks to the radio Voice and the Columbus Blue Jackets for being my guest as we close out the 2021 portion of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Bob McGelligan. My thanks to you for taking the time to rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. And don't worry, more content from the podcast is coming up in 2022. So I hope you and your family, wherever you may be and however you may be listening, have a very safe and blessed Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, in short, a very happy holiday season. And remember the reason for the season. If you have any suggestions for people and guests you'd like to have on this podcast, by all means, please feel free to email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. You can find me directly on Facebook by that same email address. You can find the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page by searching on Facebook the Blind Broadcaster Podcast for Club by Play events that I hope will be coming down the pike soon. Change that will be coming down the pike hopefully sooner rather than later. You can... Look up the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at King underscore T-S-B and on IG at lking.cardinalsfan85. Have a safe and happy holiday season. Stay safe, be blessed, and join us again next time on the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. Still on everyone.
0: You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Line from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media or visit Luther King Broadcast network.com.